Let's open our Bibles now to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, and we read the whole of this chapter of the Word of God. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The text that we consider is the first three verses of 1 Peter 5. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as you know, family visitation begins this week, the Lord willing, being done in accordance with Article 23 of our church order, which lists the duty of family visitation 
as one of the responsibilities of the elders in the Church of Christ. And family visitation has been a long-standing practice in Reformed churches. And as a practice, it is one which serves a significant role in the church, serving the purpose of comforting and instructing and encouraging the families and the members of the congregation and serving, therefore, for the upbuilding of the church as the body of Christ. But perhaps it has been such a long-standing practice for us that we're not always so sure of why it is done. It's very well possible that it becomes rather routine. It's very well possible that we fail, fail to appreciate the benefits and the blessings of family visitation. And we may even begin to wonder why it even happens. Perhaps asking the question, why do the elders need to do family visitation? And why do they need to do it every year? for every family and member of the church. And those questions can sometimes be raised today in churches as objections against family visitation. And there are some churches, some even reformed churches, in which those questions, which are really perhaps objections to family visitation, are listened to. And elders cave into them, and family visitation becomes a dying practice in those churches. And if it is practiced at all, it is simply optional. I've heard of churches where the elders put out a schedule. They say we'll be available at the church at such and such a time, certain hours on a certain day, and if you want family visitation, then come. And so only some members are visited, and mostly not many at all. May that never happen here. We need to maintain this long-standing and good reformed practice of family visitation. We need to maintain it and make sure that it continues here for the upbuilding of this congregation as the body of Christ. And our text hopefully will serve to encourage all of us concerning it and thus serve also to encourage the office bearers to strive to do it well and encourage all of us as members to view it positively and gladly to receive the elders into our homes.
Consider then with me this text under the theme, The Oversight of the Flock. Might even add the words, Through Family Visitation. The Oversight of the Flock. Notice three things, the flock's identity, the oversight of it, and the proper manner. The first thing that elders and the pastor with them needs to know, without which they cannot and will not do their work well, without which they might not even do their work at all, including the work of family visitation, the first thing that they must know is who the people are, who the members of the church are. Our text uses a very common biblical metaphor concerning the church. And it does so by calling the people of God the flock of God. That brings before our minds the biblical metaphor of a shepherd and sheep. And what is being taught and stated here is that the church is a flock, that is, that the members, believers and their seed, the gathering of the people of God, are the sheep of God. And that's God's description of the members of the church. That's God's designation as to what God's people are who are members of of the church. They are sheep. And sheep are helpless and defenseless creatures. Sheep need the constant care and attention of a shepherd. And sheep need that because sheep are by nature foolish animals. They are prone to wander they become helplessly lost if left on their own and if there are no fences to keep them in. They put themselves into danger as sheep. And so the sheep depend for their survival and depend for their protection and depend for their well-being on a faithful shepherd, a loving shepherd who guides them, who defends them, and who provides for that. These sheep, the members of the church, are referred to in the text as the flock of God. God's flock. The members of the church are not simply a group of people who gather together, a group of people among whom some are easy to deal with and some are not so easy to do with, but they are to be viewed as the flock of God. They are to be viewed as those who belong to God. And they belong to God because they are elected of God, chosen by Him in Christ from all eternity. And that's why they are called a flock. That is, that is why Scripture refers to God's people as sheep, in distinction from goats. They are the elect of God, 
and not the reprobate. They are the chosen of God. They are the ones eternally, eternally given to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are those for whom Christ laid down his life to redeem them. They are saved, saved by Christ. Because of this, they are a very significant people to God. The text adds to the significance of the members of the church by referring to them as God's heritage. Verse 3. A heritage and inheritance is something that's very valuable, something that's very precious. And this is God's heritage, something that is very valuable and very precious to God himself. church, the members of the body of Christ, even as that church comes to its manifestation in a congregation, is a flock, therefore, that God dearly loves and that God cares about. It is his beloved, it is his delight. The flock is that for whom God will do anything. He will do anything for them. And God has demonstrated that he will do anything for this flock by giving his own son for this flock. And the Apostle Peter points that out too in verse 1 of this chapter when he refers to himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The Apostle Peter puts before our minds that he saw the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the suffering of Christ when Christ came into this world to redeem the flock of God to himself. He saw the suffering that Christ endured to save the precious sheep of God. He saw Christ betrayed by one of his disciples. He saw the suffering of Christ when he, Peter, denied the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the suffering of Christ when Christ went out into the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed to God concerning the will of God and concerning the cup of the suffering that he had to endure so that his sweat was like great drops of blood coming from him. He saw the suffering of Christ when Christ was captured by the, by the soldiers and when the disciples fled and let, left him to suffer alone. And he saw the suffering of Christ when Christ was unjustly judged and unjustly condemned and crucified unjustly on the cross. And he saw the suffering of Christ as much as one could even be aware of that when God sent those three hours of darkness in which he subjected Christ to the torments of hell for the sins of the people of God. And he says, I was an eyewitness of that. 
of all the suffering of Christ, not completely, not fully, but to the point where I saw what he endured to save the sheep, the heritage of God. And that's how precious that heritage is to God. And that's how precious the heritage, the flock is to Christ himself. As he said earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, the blood that was shed for the salvation of the flock of God, for the salvation of the people of God, was the blood of God. The blood of God to save his precious sheep. What greater evidence, beloved, could there be to show how precious these sheep are to God, to show how precious you are to God. In all of the universe and in all of history, no greater price could ever or has ever been paid for someone. That's how precious the flock is to God. And because the flock is so precious to God, and because God's purpose is to take good care of the flock, to make sure that the flock is well cared for, to make sure that the flock of God is cared for in the best possible way, God has made Jesus Christ to be their chief shepherd. Verse 4 mentions that. Christ is their shepherd. The people of God are under Christ's care. It is Christ who feeds them. It is Christ who defends them. It is Christ who guides them. It is Christ who comforts them. It is Christ who provides them all that they need for body and soul, for time and to all eternity. He is their chief shepherd. But Christ is not on earth. He cannot shepherd his people in person. He is in glory. He is at the right hand of God and in loving concern for his flock, that flock that he laid down his life to save, he appoints men in the church to do it for him, men to represent him, office bearers, office bearers who are under shepherds, office bearers who are his tools, his instruments for the care of the flock of God. And then through them, Christ feeds. Through them, Christ nourishes and cares for the souls of his people. All of that, beloved, is very significant for office bearers, myself included. Because this is how office bearers must think of and view and treat 
the members of the church. All of them. All of them. And admittedly, and office bearers know that well, especially the elders know that well, that's not always so easy. And that's not always so easy because sheep, as I said, are foolish. And sometimes foolish sheep will act like goats, as though they're not saved. They will be rebellious. They will be stubborn. Not agreeable, but rather disagreeable, fighting each other and fighting against even the office bearers in the church, ready to find fault, critical, making the work of office bearers, of elders especially, very difficult and very challenging at times. Perhaps even sometimes the work of family visitation. But office bearers may never view or treat God's people as goats, but always as sheep, the flock of God. And that's not to say that office bearers will say with 100% certainty every single person in the church is a sheep, Every single person in the church is one of the elect. We know that that's not necessarily true. Biblical history proves that to us. In the church, there was an Abel, but also a Cain. In the church, there was a Jacob, but also an Esau. And many other examples of that as well. And even the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ concerning the church demonstrate that. Parables in which he spoke of sheep and goats in the church. Parables in which he spoke of the wheat and the tares in the church. Parables in which he spoke of the wise and the foolish in the church. The wise virgins and the foolish virgins. And we know that from our own experience in the history of the church. There are some who reject Christ. There are some who go out from us and who live an ungodly and an unbelieving life. And there is no greater sorrow for the church when that happens. But the fact of the matter is, no one can see a person's heart. And office bearers cannot see the heart of the members either. They must view and treat them as the sheep of God, as the flock of God concerning whom God says, I have entrusted to your care a flock that is very valuable and very precious to me. And the faithful office bearer, says, I will strive with all my might by the grace of God, also through the work of family visitation, to care for the sheep that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I cannot do otherwise. They are precious to God. 
they are precious to Jesus Christ and they are precious to me as one who represents Christ in his church. All of that, we could say, is reason enough for us to understand the importance, the necessity of family visitation. But not only is that significant for the office bearers, that's significant also for the members of the church, especially if the members might be tempted to raise questions or objections to the fact that office bearers have been placed over them by Christ, or even questions concerning the work of the office bearers, the elders in doing family visitation, and when the members may wonder why it is done, and the members may perhaps feel that the elders are intruding into their homes and families and lives when they do family visitation. And the members might wish that family visitation was optional or that it might be skipped altogether. But the answer to those questions and to that wonderment that we might have sometimes as members concerning the work of the elders in family visitation is simply this. Jesus Christ is your great shepherd and Jesus Christ as your great shepherd cares for your soul. And he cares so much for your soul that he appoints elders to represent him in his church and to carry out his work. And they are his voice. They speak and they bring to you his love and his care for your souls. They come as the church order mentions in Article 23, they come to edify and to comfort and to instruct the sheep of Christ. Family visitation represents the love of Christ for his sheep. So Christ instructs and God instructs and commands the elders. And notice how the text says that this is a command to the elders. The elders which are among you, I exhort. And then this is added, who am also an elder. The apostle Peter as a preacher of the gospel, one who occupied, we would say, the position of being a teaching elder includes himself as an elder so that this command comes both to elders and pastor. And the command is, the admonition is, feed my flock and take the oversight of it. And that word oversight, taking oversight, is a significant admonition with regard to family visitation. To take oversight is literally to assume responsibility for 
the spiritual welfare of the flock and of the church. To be concerned about the spiritual welfare of the people of God, to see to it that their spiritual struggles are addressed, and to see to it that through the work of the office bearers, God's people do well spiritually, to see to it that they even flourish spiritually. Take oversight. You could compare that to the work of a good parent. A good parent who is always thinking about and paying close attention to the children. A good parent who is there to provide for those children and to protect them and to guide them. A good parent who is there to comfort those children. And a good parent who, when those children reach their teenage years, keeps tabs on them, knows where they are, knows what they're doing, is thinking about their welfare. Wondering often, is my child safe? Is everything okay for him or her? Does he or she need anything? And so elders ask similar questions regarding the members of the church and do that in connection with their work of family visitation. They're asking the question, are the members of the church spiritually safe? Or are the members of the church in spiritual danger? Spiritual danger because they are walking impenitently in a way of sin. Are things going okay for the members of the church? Or are the members of the body of Christ in this place struggling because they are overwhelmed by the troubles and struggles and even the responsibilities of their callings in life as people of God. Do the members of the church need help? Do they need guidance? Do they need that help and guidance within their family life? Do they need that within their marriages? Do they need that as parents raising their children? Do the children need that in their calling and place in the family and in life? Do they need any encouragement? And everyone does. Encouragement concerning a parenting. Encouragement concerning family life. Encouragement concerning their place and part and involvement in the church, an encouragement concerning the struggles and troubles they face. Elders take oversight also through family visitation. 
and the elders carry out that oversight, the text teaches us, by way of feeding the flock. Feed the flock, the text says. That's part of taking oversight, providing food for the flock. Nourishment for the souls of the people of God, bringing to them the word of God, feeding God's people with the scriptures, bringing them the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, their chief shepherd, and thereby directing them to Christ, to Christ, their shepherd, their savior so that by means of bringing their word, Christ feeds the sheep. By means of bringing his word, Christ comforts the sheep. By means of bringing the word of Christ, it is Christ who instructs and strengthens and protects his sheep. The sheep have many needs. If you have used the Word of God as a believer, and if you have used the Word of God as an office bearer, then you will have discovered that there is never a need for the people of God that is not addressed by Scripture. The Scripture teaches the sheep. The Scripture admonishes the wayward. The scripture disciplines. The scripture warns. The scripture calls to repentance. The word of Christ does that. The scripture comforts the people of God. Comforts them concerning their sin. Comforts them with the gospel of pardon for their sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. Comforts them with that gospel because that gospel is found on every page of Scripture, regardless of what passage the elders bring in family visitation. And the Word of God comforts the afflicted Just think of the Psalms. No matter what grief, no matter what problem, no matter what difficulty the people of God face, the Word of God addresses those struggles. And so in obedience to Christ, office bearers bring the Word of God also on family visitation so that the sheep hear the voice of Christ speak to them, Christ their chief shepherd. And finally, the elders are also warned here, myself included, against what they might be tempted and inclined to do. That is, 
tempted to take oversight of the flock in the wrong way and thus not to do it well. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. First, an office bearer might do his work by constraint. That is, he says, I will do the work, and I am doing the work to which I am called as an office bearer, but only because I have to. And it's very easy to fall into that, especially if or when the sheep are difficult, especially when the sheep are not receptive to the word that is brought, or when the sheep become upset and angry at the word that is spoken to them. And even it can become that way for an office bearer that he does his work by constraint because that work is a very demanding work. It is. Elders usually are working all day long at their regular job, their regular work. But then they have a meeting. Then they have a visit to make. Then they have to fit in family visitation as well. We do well to be aware of that and to pray for our elders in that regard, that the Lord gives them strength to do this work and to do it well. But the point of the text is that it can be very easy for an office bearer to do it by constraint, so that he says, I'd rather not do it. I wish I didn't have to. I'll still do it. I'll go ahead and do the work that I'm called to do, but only because it's expected of me, expected of me by the church, expected of me by Christ, the chief shepherd. And if Christ expects it of me, I suppose I better do it. But that would be very wrong. And the text points out that they must do it willingly, with a ready mind, willing and eager to do it, because as office bearers they love God, they love Christ, and they love the precious sheep that Christ has saved and that he has entrusted to their care. And they carry with them and carry in their heart the burden for the salvation and the souls of the people of God, their spiritual safety as God's people living in a world of sin. And then the second thing that we can focus upon is verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage. 
to lord it over the flock of God can happen because office bearers do have authority. God-given authority. Christ-given authority in the church and in their office. The elders have the right to say to the sheep of Christ, this is what you must do. Christ requires it of you. The Bible requires it. And the elders have the right to require and to demand obedience from the sheep to that word of God. And they have the right to discipline members if they are disobedient and impenitently continue in a way of sin. But they might be tempted on account of that to take the approach, the people better listen and obey or else. But the sheep of Christ, the sheep of God, are not creatures who are pushed and shoved around. Anyone who has had sheep on their farm or on their acreage knows that. Sheep do not respond to that. They become more stubborn if they're treated that way. Sheep are creatures who must be led. And that's why the text mentions also in verse 3 how the sheep should be led by those who are called to be office bearers. And that is that they are to be examples to the flock. Shepherds, under shepherds of Christ to provide a good example for the sheep of Christ to follow so that the sheep can never say about the elders who speak to them and bring them the word of God, or any office bearer who brings them the word of God, why do they command me to do this when they themselves don't do it? Why must I love my wife if it's pretty obvious that man doesn't love his wife? Why must I discipline my children if it's obvious he doesn't discipline his children. Why must I be active and involved in the congregation when it's obvious that he's not involved? And so on. Now it must be understood by that by us that those who are members of the church may not use the weaknesses and failures of elders as an excuse because the elders bring them the word of God, not the word of men. It's not the word of an elder, it's the word of Christ. Should hear what is said regardless of the example. But the good example of an office bearer will make his work more effective so that when the elders and other office bearers are Christ-like by the work of Christ and his grace in us, leading us to be like Christ, the chief shepherd, 
then the sheep will gladly follow. And then in following the example of a godly office bearer, they are following Christ, their chief shepherd. Being examples to the flock. By the power of the grace of Christ in you. The Word of God gives us also finally some encouragement here. That encouragement is not specifically in our text, but in the next text when it mentions that the chief shepherd shall appear. The chief shepherd is Christ. And that in itself, just that reference to Christ as the chief shepherd gives encouragement to office bearers in their work and encouragement to us all in family visitation. This encouragement that the word that is brought will be effective, that the word that is brought and discussed together will bear fruit in the lives of the people of God. It will bear fruit not because the office bearers are so persuasive in their explanation of that word of God, but it will bear fruit because Christ is the chief shepherd. Christ is the one who speaks to his people through his word. Christ is the one who said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And they will, because Christ will cause his people to hear the word of Christ, and to submit to what Christ has to say to his beloved sheep. And that's encouragement. That, in fact, is the greatest encouragement for the church and for those called to speak the word of Christ in the church, the encouragement of seeing Christ causing the sheep to hear his voice and to follow him. We might not always see that fruit in those whom we desire to see it. We might not always see it when we would like to see it. But what a joy when in God's time there is that fruit and God's people hear and submit themselves to his word. They are hearers and doers of the word. They live by faith. They live in godliness, because they have heard the voice of Christ speak to them. They have comfort in their souls, and they have the hope of life eternal, because they have heard Christ speak to them. The church, beloved, is made up of sheep. Sheep who are all of us struggling along on our pilgrim's pathway in this world. Many different circumstances, many different struggles, many different needs. Christ provides for his sheep. He provides 
for his sheep because he has the eternal welfare of those sheep in view. And he provides for us as his sheep, for all of us, because everyone is visited through family visitation, the office bearers and their families as well, he provides for all of us through family visitation. And so may he bless that work again in this year. Bless it so that families and members in the church are comforted and instructed and the church is built up together in the faith of Christ because it is being blessed and cared for by Jesus Christ himself our chief shepherd. Amen. O Heavenly Father, wilt thou bless to us thy word and bless the work of the church through its office bearers in our midst. Bless every home, bless every family, bless every individual member. May the word of Christ be our joy and comfort and peace in the midst of this life in this world, in the midst of all the struggles and difficulties and responsibilities that we face as thy people in this world. Hear us and bless us for Christ's sake. Amen.